listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little bloodsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers the king. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi, I'm Michael Jordan. Hi, how you going there? Welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth. My name is John Teague. Um, So today, this is a throwback episode. I did this episode three years ago with my step-grandmother, Peg Landale. Now, I hadn't posted it because um, I was just having a couple of issues because I did it so long ago and I was still figuring out the sound that I'm still trying to always figure out the sound and how to make it better. But uh, the sound quality wasn't really there. But now I've run it through a different program and I think that I'll be able to draw it out a little bit better. So, you know, I really enjoyed having a chat with Peg and she was so it was so nice of her to say yes to, to be my second ever podcast. And... Um, you know, it, it's crazy that, uh, you know, within a conversation, you, I, you can talk to someone who who remembers life with when things were horse and cart. And um, it wasn't that long ago. And then we sit here and we're on the edge of artificial intelligence. It's wild, wild. Anyway, um, that's just a little bit of perspective of how far we've come in a very short time. Where are we going? Where are we going? Anyway, I hope you enjoy my chat with Peg. Uh, I really enjoyed, you know, she's an amazing person. She's, I'm lucky to have her as a step-grandmother. Yeah. And, this is, is um, interesting? Wow. yeah. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. Stand outside. Complete and total farfarama. You should all remember, family-wise. Yeah. Uh, the first of our family that came out here was a convict. Sent out for this, for this cousin for stealing. Uh, they came from Somerset. They came out in uh, 04, 1804. What did he steal, Peg? Uh, he, he stole a beehive from his cousin. And <laughs> I gather that he and his cousin, the cousin who helped him steal the beehive, yeah. uh, had been in trouble around the town anyway. And they were sent out together, sent out to Tasmania. And uh, at the beginning of the century, uh, my cousin and I went over to Tasmania because they had a reunion of all the people who came out then. Well, I mean, the people who came out at that, that immediate time. Uh, it was the soldiers, uh, the convicts, and all the hangers-on and so on. And he did his seven years. and. Then they were good farmers and they rewarded a certain number of sheep. So he did seven years in the prison camp in Tasmania. Yes, he did seven years. Uh, I don't know where he did it. Yeah. Mm, but he was uh, sort of uh, under control for that time. But he wasn't actually in the jail, I think. Okay. I mean, there were so many, they probably didn't have enough jails. And... Uh, Anyway, to cut a long story short, they took sheep and so forth and went over to Victoria where they took up land and did very well. Which and, which part of Victoria? Uh, Portland. Ah, yeah, um, yeah. There's a place near Geelong. Uh, i trying to remember the name of the place they went to. So is it true that they were going to make Portland Melbourne for a while? I think they were thinking of that, yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It was all very fluid then. They didn't know what they were doing, I think, and depended very much on the sort of people they sent out. But I think a lot of them were farmers and probably hard up. Yeah. Anyway, they did very well. Uh, one thing about being a convict, you got first crack at the land, and, of course, there was unlimited land. And the ones who were good farmers got good grant. So they were shearing... Marinos for the wool, or they were. Um, well, they took sheep over. I'm not quite sure about that. It's something I should have looked at more closely. But anyway, sheep, as you know, you can eat them and wear them. Uh, <laughs> very versatile animal. What was his name? Pardon? What was his name? James Austin. Okay. Um, they should put up a memorial to him, him somewhere. 
because he certainly started the family fortunes. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, they just multiplied, did well, good farmers. So he came out with nothing. Came out with nothing, he came out as a prisoner. Yeah. Oh. And then started a sheep farm in the southwest of Victoria. Mm-hmm. Barwon Park. Barwon Park. There's a place, and there's a big house there now, open to the public and things, down near Winchelsea. What's that? So this was early 1800s? This was 04 that they arrived in uh, Tasmania. Yeah. On, I've got a book there, I should have brought it with me, called Convicts Unbound. And it had a whole list of people who came out then. Okay. But not uh, A lot of them weren't so keen on the idea of having been descended from convicts. So they covered up a lot of their tracks for a while. But now it's not quite fashionable to have a convict ancestor. Well, it's the true roots. <laughs> you can find out a whole lot more. Yeah. Um, so he was your great... He was an uncle. Okay. And uh, some of his family subsequently came out. He said he wrote back home. And we say he wrote back home, but I think he was probably illiterate. Anyway, he said there's great opportunities out here. Well, you can imagine what it was like coming from England to all this land out here. Is that, is that coming across properly? I think so. I'll just, um, just point it towards you a little bit there, and I think we're good. I'll just keep... I'll have a quick listen. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think we're good. Right? Yeah. Good. Um, first, can I say... So he was your uncle? He, he was a, a great, great, great uncle of some type. I, I can't quite remember yeah. how far back it goes. I have got an enormous family tree somewhere. Somebody at one stage had 18 children, so the family tree goes sideways. There are lots of awesome 18 children? 18 children. In those days, they had an awful lot of children. They didn't know how to stop, I think. <laughs> that is... I've never heard of anyone having 18 children before. That's incredible. <laughs> well, I think, I think a lot of them died, probably. All these diseases that went around. The mortality rate was quite high. Uh, I have got more of this on record, but uh, I haven't got it right here. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all good. Um, what else? Well, we were talking about the rabbit plague when I was growing up. So, yeah, so when you grew up, did you grow up in the southwest, in the in that same area? Yes, near Mortlake. You're near Mortlake, in okay. Victor- in Victoria. Yeah. Uh, and there were lots of cousins. Uh, we had a great big family. Um and mostly on the land. It was a, it was a good life, really. I do you know? And I have a friend from Mort Lake called Tom Whitehead. Do oh you, yes. Do you know the Whiteheads? Yes, I remember the name. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, it was freezing cold. I remember. We were very pleased at the beginning of the war. Dad came up to manage the family property at Wongamilla, near Dunalukwin, and uh, it was completely different. Lovely climate. Uh, down in Victoria, we had colds all the time. Uh, we came up to live here. And uh, how old were you then? Thirteen. Yeah. Um, and we were very happy up here. Well, it's much. It's a bit. It's nicer climate for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, so you moved up here at thirteen because your dad. He took over the management of the of the family property, Wongamilla, which was a sheep stud near Dunlopin. How many acres was that? I can't remember now. 10,000, something like that. Yeah. They, they all had a lot of land in those days. You yeah. need a lot of land because a lot of droughts. Yeah. You need uh, needed a buffer against the droughts. Um, anyway, we thought it was a great life. So um, so you moved up here at 13 and that is how you bumped into Hunter Landale? Yes, that's right, because uh, we all went down to boarding school on the train. Okay. Uh, can you turn this off? Y- yes, yeah. <laughs> I've run out of... So it took 12 hours to get down to school? Yes. Mm. It was all right coming this way, but going back to school again, we were all miserable. <laughs> I thought school was terrible. Boarding so, school. So did I. And we were so happy up here. 
So anyway, did no. the train leave from Echuca? No, it left it from Daniloquin. And he changed trains in Bendigo. Uh, so why did the train stop from Daniloquin? There's no train here anymore. No, well, they cut it out a few years ago, unfortunately. I think we've all been sorry ever since. Yeah. Because trains are a great way to travel. The railway line's still there. Yeah. But uh, you'd have to to get it up to standard again. Apparently it'd be too expensive. Well, that's a shame. Does the train still go to Echuca, though? Yes. Yes, you can get the train from Echuca, I think, twice a day. Yeah, right. Oh. Yeah, that yeah. is a shame. Yeah. Yes, well, my sisters and I had two sisters... And there was an Air Force station up here during the war, so we thought that was paradise. All those handsome-looking men in uniform. <laughs> uh. So there was an, an, an Air Force base here in Daniloquin? Yes. Oh, really? Wow. Well, the attraction around here is that it's so flat. There's nothing much to run into. If you're training, uh. you didn't have to watch out for mountains or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Now, you're saying that you remember in those days a horse and cart. Yes, well, during the war, everybody was short of petrol. We had uh, what they called a gas producer, which you lit. And how it worked, I don't know. But anyway, I came back from school at one stage. Dad met us off the train in Dunedin. And half- halfway home, we found everybody was waving to us. And, uh, of course, the back of the truck was on fire. <laughs> So we, all our school clothes were burnt. Uh, really? Mm. And uh, when we were just going to visit neighbours, we very we usually rode or went in the horse and cart. Yeah. Which was fun. You had time to talk to each other. Mm. And we thought it was paradise up here. Well, it's still pretty good. I think it is too. Lovely climate, actually, like now in the autumn. The sun's out all the time. Yeah. You've also got the washing dryer, things like that. Well, it's, it's winter and it's sunny out there. Yes, it is. And, uh, well, I grew up near Mortlake. Mm. Came up here when I was 13. Then, as I said, came up to manage the property. Uh, he and Mum had met each other during the f- first war. They were both in Egypt. He was in the eighth light horse. This, this is your father this and your the, mother. This is dad. Yeah. Mm. And uh, he was on Gallipoli, and I've just recently found a very interesting book, which is this one here. And he was the unofficial war correspondent or diarist for the Eighth Light Horse, so it describes all that Gallipoli business. And then later on, he was in Palestine, he was at Beersheba, and he was shot through the neck at some stage. And we were fascinated when we were small children. He used to show us where the bullet had gone in and come out again. So it missed his throat, went behind M- the throat? missed his throat. It didn't really damage him. It just went through the muscles, apparently. That is a one in a million shot. Well, exactly. To miss the spinal cord, miss the throat. Mm. Mm. <sighs> he was lucky. <laughs> and anyway, that's where he met Mum. She was nursing in the uh, hospital in Cairo. So that was how they met, and they were married after the war. It's like a movie. Yeah, well, right, right, it was. And Uncle Ron, his older brother, was in the Australian Air Force, and he was shot down in Egypt. Uh, actually, I don't think he was shot down. I think he, he, he came down to rescue somebody and broke a wheel when he was landing and was taken prisoner by the Turks. So I thought that was all interesting. Now, somewhere or other, there's a diary. He had a bit of a stammer, Uncle Ron, so he got sick to death of telling everybody the story of being a prisoner of the Turks, and he wrote it all down. But somebody, somebody's got it, so it's on record somewhere. How long was he held by the Turks for? Uh, two or three, uh, a couple of years, probably. And did they torture him? And No, I think he was quite well looked after. Oh, that's nice. Now, of course, we're all friendly with the Turks, and I think they... Uh, subsequently got on quite well because there's quite a well-known story about how at one stage there were so many bodies on Gallipoli and the smell was so ghastly they had an armistice to bury their dead and so they stopped cheating each other for 24 hours and buried all these corpses. But I, I 
but I think it must have been perfectly revolting, that bit of the war. So that, you know, I was, last night I haphazardly stumbled across a YouTube video that said that if you add up all the fatalities of World War II, mm. being soldiers, civilians, everybody that died with regard to that war, I had no idea of the figure. Did mm. you? Do did, 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 did you know what the figure was if you add everybody up? Mm. 70 million. Mm. Yeah, it was. It wrecked that whole generation, I think. I had no idea that that was 70 million. I thought maybe. Mm. Can't even comprehend. Yes. Yeah, that was horrible. And in the trenches in France. Anyway, there's lots of record about that. So being in the Light Horsemen, was that a specialised unit? Because it's quite famous, the, the Light Horse Brigade, is that? Well, exactly. Uh, I used to tell the children I'd been to war, war on a horse and they could hardly believe it. But that was the way they got around in those days. They had Light Horse regiments uh, all over Victoria, even before the war started. Really? <coughs> and so they took the horses and the men and took them overseas with them. Yeah, right. So now going back, was the rabbit plague before this? Yes, the rabbit, rabbit plague was in the 30s, early 30s, I gather. I, can, I do remember a, a line of us walking across a paddock and you herded all the rabbits into a corner and then we children were taken home. I presume they bludgeoned all the rabbits to death. But they were just carpets off them. By the time you got to the end of the fence... There was just a moving carpet. And this had a huge effect on the... Yes. Yeah. It, it decimated a lot of areas in Victoria. And they were, they were moving across. Well, eventually they got... Um, what was that thing that poisoned all the rabbits? Myxomatosis. Myxomatosis. And that was the only thing that worked. So that was introduced to kill the rabbits? Yes, it was. Yes, well, the rabbits were introduced so that somebody could hunt them. Yeah. And the, my family at Barwon Park had imported some. And they, well, they just spread like mad. There's nothing to stop them, nothing actually to kill them. And they used to call them the poor man's chicken. A lot of people, I think, during the Depression in the 30s, this is what they lived on for meat. And I've never eaten rabbit snakes since. I think it's disgusting. Have you ever eaten rabbit? Once, oh, no, yeah, when I was a kid. Mm. I think that we cooked up a couple just because we used to shoot them as well and mm. uh, I think we convinced mum to cook us one once. Yes, no, they're quite a delicacy. So yeah. They smell nasty. Well, everything's becoming a delicacy now. You've got kangaroo, mm. you know, all these... Emus. Emus, really? Mm. Nearly hit an emu coming up here last weekend. Well, there's a collection of them north of Bathara. There's a flock of them there. It was. That's where I, yeah. Yeah. Hanging out on the side of the road. Mm. There's a couple out of Blackwood too. Yes, and they're, and they're very easy to hit them because they're hard to see. How about kangaroos? There's still so many dead kangaroos between here and Mathara. Littered. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Poor kangaroos. Yeah, they really don't have much road sense. <laughs> <laughs> so did, when you came up here, Peg, this is something been wondering about they say that the Edward River was clear do you remember that clear like not murky all right do you ever remember is that a myth or is that well we used to swim in it all the time because Wongadala was right on the bank of the billabong yes I remember it was clear but I don't remember when it became so murky yeah, isn't that funny? Because I've heard that the Edward and the Murray were both clear rivers. Yes. And now they're just puddles, mm. which is... Well, I suppose the runoff. Mm. Is that just because we're dealing with the land so much? We've or? messed them up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Civilization sometimes does a lot of damage, doesn't it? It sure does. So, okay, so now... What do you, what's your take on all this technology? You've seen, you know, where things have been horse and cart. 
I sometimes feel like Rip Van Winkle, you know, that man who went to sleep for 100 years, a fairy story, and woke up and found everything had changed. Well, now I don't do any of this button-pressing things that you all do, and I've certainly been left behind. I'm sure I could do it, but I just haven't got around to it. But have you noticed that more and more people tend to live in the device, you know, phones, computers, iPads... They're disconnecting from each other. Do you, do you notice this, yeah. and like especially in children? I do notice that because I know when I'm out, out to dinner sometimes, people are texting each other on the other side of the table. It's communication, uh, conversation. But still, it's very easy, easy to say things were better when I was a child. But I think so many things are better now, as you were saying, medical treatment, uh, the speed of information. I think we're overwhelmed by information and uh, obsessed by trivia. You hear people talking, they're not talking, talking about anything very much. But it so, seems very important. But I think every generation says that, complains about the last, the present generation. Yeah, yeah, what, <laughs> you're what, absolutely what, right there though. What do you think? Well, I don't know, you know, there's so many different trains of thought on it but I definitely feel grateful to have grown up in a generation without phones mm. and and mum was always very strict very strict with us with the television mm. and we were to go outside and play after mm. school yeah. and we were allowed I think an hour maybe of telly but I don't know you know like I look at I see people just giving children phones to keep them quiet. Yeah. And I wonder where that is going. And I think sometimes if you look at the correlation between these new attention deficit disorder mm-hmm. kind of illnesses that are popping up, maybe they've always been there, we didn't know about them, but I don't know. But I think that these short attention span mm. may have something to do with the abundance of... The ease of communication. The ease of communication and the abundance of just crap that comes through these things. Well, exactly. We're obsessed with trivia, I think. So I don't... But like you said, like, you know, like, I don't know if it's because we were fortunate enough to not have it and mm. see both sides or maybe it's just... Um, it's a new world that I'm not really aware of. I try and disassociate with it as much as possible, but it is there. Mm, yeah. Well, for instance, you don't have to spell. Uh, I watch Eddie McGuire on the telly at night, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and some of the questions they can't answer. But then on the other hand, there's lots that I can't answer. I don't know anything about rock bands or that sort of thing. So do you think spelling... Because the spell check on the phone... Spell check on the computer mm. helped me out a lot. I'm not a very good speller. Mm. Um, well, English, it must be a tricky language to learn because uh, it doesn't go to, to perfect rules, does it? I mean, I, I think German, which I'm studying at the moment, is easier to learn probably than English. Really? Yes, I think so. Was it? But you think of the endings in English, O-U-G-H and things like that, they're all pronounced differently. It's yeah. hard to learn, but I don't know. I've never, I'm, I haven't spoken recently to anybody who's trying to learn English. Well, I do, I do hear that it is the toughest language to learn. But, you know, really? Yeah, I have heard that, yeah, if, mm. if you were to be, you know. Mm. But still, it's a marvellous language, isn't it? A couple of inf- infinite in expression. It's, I think, you know, some people are really good with languages and, you know, pick them up quite quickly and easily, obviously, like yourself, yeah. if you're finding German to be not too bad. And uh, I seem to struggle. I trying, I'm trying my best to learn Spanish. Mm-hmm. And it's, for me, I'm very rudimentary. But um, isn't it fascinating? other languages and and the words that mean different things that Mm. we don't actually have words for yeah like Mm. if you like they say that the spanish the span um 
is the word is the is the language of love right. and quite often they'll say a word and then they'll try and describe it to you and they'll say we don't have mm. actually the english language doesn't have a word that describes this and it's mm. more an emotional language does that make sense is well is it like italian spanish well, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I know it's very similar to Portuguese, and I don't, you know, if you go back to Latin roots, I don't know what. Don't the English, is English closer to German because it's closer to, they all come from two or three different original languages. Is mm-hmm. this true? Yes, English is closer to German, I think, because a lot of the royal family used to be German, wasn't it? And so lots of people learnt German in those days, or brought up. Speaking really? German? So German was around before English? Uh, no, English is a bit of a mongrel language, isn't it? <laughs> That's and a good we, word for it. And when you think how, how it's been invaded by the Vikings and the French. Uh, but it's a marvellous language. I mean, you think of Winston Churchill, his writing and his speeches during the war. Uh, have you heard any of that? I I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I'm sure that I've read them in history at school because mm. it sounds familiar and I know who, certainly know who Winston Churchill is. Mm. But which war was it that we won that made English the dominant language of the world and if the French had have won a certain war, it would have been French? Mm. Yes, well, it used to be the... And I don't know why this was. It used to be the... Dip, dip, Diplomatic language. The French? Yes, French. Yeah. Mm, everybody had to learn that. Well, no, I think nearly everybody's... Well, we assume that nearly everybody speaks English or some form of English. It seems to have taken over. Is this what you yeah. understand? Yeah, yes. yeah. And why what didn't go the French way. Mm. Um, like, you know, in the Philippines, they all speak English. Yeah. All the way through. Um, it's like... And I think a lot of South American countries too nowadays. I think Guatemala, they've been speaking English for a long time. Yeah. Well, it's the second language taught at schools. Yeah. Um, and not French. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Chinese might be the next one. Yes, well, it's terribly hard for us to learn, isn't it? It must be very hard for them to learn English because they come from completely different roots, don't they? It's so different, yeah. Yes, there was this idea. What was that language that they taught or very often tried to teach during the war? Uh, it was going to be the international language. Do you remember that? No. Is it still spoken or is it going to be a new language? It, it was a conglomerate sort of language, I think. Oh, I can't remember what it was called. Like a double Dutch kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> really? Yes. I'll remember it in a minute, but I'm trying not to think of it. Were they trying to teach it in China or in Australia or...? Well, it was going to be the, the general international language. Anyway, I can't think of it at the moment. Um, what else? I'm glad I got that bit in about the convict, because I think that uh, everybody's going to forget about that. No, and it's just such a fascinating uh, time. I, I Someone sent me, Matt, Matt Bill's wife Erin sent me a thing the other day and she, I don't know, her auntie had sent her a photo of the surname Teague, which is my surname. Oh. And the, is that French? It's Irish. Oh, is it? Yeah, and it was Targ, or oh. it's pronounced Targ. Oh. And then they changed it, I think when maybe when the Irish went to England, mm-hmm. they didn't want to sound Irish. They changed the spelling of it mm-hmm. um, because this couple had come over, and she sent a um, like a uh, like a tombstoney kind of you know such and such Teague, then mm-hmm. brackets Targ, um, who came out to Australia in the eighteen early eighteen hundreds, and it said it had a little blurb about how long it took, mm-hmm. and it took them three and a half months to get here from England. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had a, her third child on the boat coming over here. Gosh. I know. And could you only imagine being on a rickety old wooden ship mm. for three and a half months, giving birth, mm. and then coming out here to start a new, a new 
life and family. And do you know what year that was? It was, uh, it's, off the top of my head, it was like 18-0-something. It was early. Mm. And um, I think they landed just outside of, well, in Port Phillip mm. and took up somewhere on the peninsula. And once they got back here, they changed their name from Teague back to the original mm. Targ. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the imagination just boggles. Like, it's such, well, I suppose when you don't know any different, but exciting, brave journeys from the, you know, into an unknown world mm. where there's no life insurance, there's no... No communication. No communication. Not until six months later whether that even arrived. You'd say when you said goodbye to somebody, you really said goodbye to them, mm. you know. It's just... Mm. Anyway, let's cheer up and say that some of them made a lot of money out of wool and wool <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> oh, but I think it's so f- awesome. I, I don't mean it in a, in a glum sense. I mm. think it's like the, the, the mystery of life and the adventure of life... Mm was well and alive yes and i think today we sort of can wrap ourselves a bit more in cotton wool and that sense of living Mm. Mm. now when you think of all those wrecks along the southern coast (laughs) of of victoria we used to go for our holidays when i was a child down to peterborough that they called that i think the shipwreck coast yeah yeah and there was the the lockard gorge we were almost taken there for picnics yeah this the ship the Lockhart had been wrecked on the coast and there were two survivors and imagine that two survivors two survivors there was a a girl who'd come out of the family and a cabin boy and they were washed up in what subsequently was called the Lockhart Gorge and they met each other in the morning it sounds nice and romantic and things but she was uh, apparently her family had plenty of money she eventually went back to England and what happened to him, I don't know. But we all thought that was very interesting. Peterborough is such a great area. Yes, it is. Plenty of history. Mm. Lots of wrecks. Great surf. Yes. <laughs> uh, and the, the Schomburg Reef was supposed to be... Uh, a ship went aground there that was supposed to have had a lot of bullion on board. That sounded dramatic, but by this time they would have found it if there was any. Really? There's a lot of people who go chasing shipwrecks looking for treasures still today. Yes. It's really, until recently, they're selling stuff from the Lockhart because that came in quite close, I think. And I think there's a museum down there in Warrnambool yeah. of quite a lot of uh, relics from the Lockhart. Interesting. Yeah, it really is. It's pretty awesome. Mm. Um, I know, yeah, I don't... I, a friend of mine's older brother went chasing gold on a boat, I think, for a couple of years. Yeah. I don't know the full story, but I know that something happened and he had to go into hiding. All right. Um, Apparently found the gold. Well, I don't know if he found it or he disturbed somebody else or there was some something, but I just... The treasure hunting thing sounds kind of fun. Mm. But I know he ended up hiding out in Northern Territory for a while. All right. I should find out that story. It'd be quite a good one. Mm. Mm. I won't say his name. Yes, I've heard of lots of families that make their money out of sheep and wool and things like that, but not many families started off with gold. I don't know about that. Uh, But some people were lucky and found a gold nugget, like the 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 Welcome Stranger. What's that, the Welcome Stranger? It was a great big gold nugget. Um, There were models of it here and there. They found around Ballarat or somewhere like that, and it was uh, caught under... the branches of a tree or something, or the, under the roots of a tree. And it was worth an awful lot of money in those days, but I think that the money didn't last very long, which I think perhaps was a product of the sort of people who went out looking for gold. They want to make an instant killing. A bit more, yeah. I have a friend uh, who's trying to convince me to do some gold mining at the moment. He, yeah. he wants to get one of those things that you put into the creek, yeah. shovel. Yes. It's having a bit of a resurgence. People are starting to yes. mm. get and out there. Make and enough maybe to make it worthwhile. Well, I think it's a bit more just something to do, but I uh, always have a bit of a chuckle whenever he brings it up. Mm. It's pretty funny because it, you think of the Wild West, I yes. do. Yes. Mm. Well, there must be plenty of gold left there. 
They find new ways of washing it out all the time, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Well, there must be heaps left there, I'd say. And mm. now with the equipment probably being a little bit better and a little bit more, like they have motors on them and stuff, it's not so labour-intensive. Mm. So do you, do you remember the uh, what happened with the Eureka stockade now we're on the gold thing? Was that to do with the gold mining? Um, it was to do with the, the gold miners. There was trouble with the licences. They were supposed to have licences and some of them didn't have licences. I think that was the root of the trouble. Okay. Yeah. And, so the, and so they were trying to say, it was the government saying that you have to have a licence. Yes, I gather. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably not accurate about that. But that, that was the usual thing with the Australians being against the government, uh-huh. which they tend to be, I think. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> no, I mean, it's important to have some structure, but too much structure feels... We're over-governed. I feel like, yeah. And we certainly are. Yeah. I mean, I think we can't gather firewood. You look through the fence at Mundy War and there's acres of firewood just lying on the ground. Eventually there'll be a fire that goes through there and burns it all, probably sterilises the ground. Uh, I think we were brought from Canberra by the bureaucracy and most lots of them don't have any idea what goes on in the country. Happily I can still get wood, but not. and so can you, can't you? Rob brings in wood. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I know I do know what you mean. And then they watch you from the satellites. If they they mm. take photographs of the land, and if they see things out of place. Mm. Yes, there's big big daddy up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm running out of. Uh... No, Peg. This is awesome. I really appreciate the chat. Is it? Oh, really? Oh, good. I hope it's useful. No, yeah, it's just nice to have a chat. And, uh, yeah, well, if you're good, I'm good. Um, I've got quite a lot of records, which I went to the Genealogy Society last Friday, and they were very interested in the fact that I've got this book, which quotes my father quite a lot, because, as I was saying, he was the unofficial historian of the Eighth Light Horse. Um so I'm going to get some copies and give it to the family because he didn't ever talk about that bit. So this is um, this this book here has got letters that your dad sent back from the war. Well, some of them. Yeah. Uh, um, a lot of first-hand information about what was going on there then, uh, things that I didn't I didn't know at all about. He used to talk about the good times he had, but not any of what must have been absolutely ghastly on, on Gallipoli. Any, anything that sticks out in your mind of the good times that you remember him talking about? He didn't talk about the bad times. What about the good times? Uh, well, he had a good time. His parents came out. Grandfather was something to do with the Red Cross in Victoria and they came out to Cairo and met their two sons, which were Dad. During the war? Yeah, during the First War. Dad and Uncle Ron, who I said got the MC later on, uh, and they had a very nice time meeting them. He got the MC. The pun? He got an, the MC. Yes. And that, is that a bravery? Mil- military cross, yes. Yeah. This is from landing behind the lines and picking up somebody, I gather. I'm not sure about the d- details of that. Mm. But some of the family would have. Is the MC similar to the VC? Um, no, it's given for different things, I think. The VC is the highest thing you can get, as you would know, but... Uh, the MC is in that sort of area. I don't know whether it's bravery in the field or, mm. or what. And we've got all, all the... Have you seen the paper this morning? No. The Queen's Birthday Honours? Mm, no, I didn't Seven, see it. 700 people have got something, apparently. Oh, really? Mm. And I think it's very good that people are rewarded for services to the community, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good. Well, it encourages and... Uh... Life's about community, and if you're doing good things for community, that's good. I think so, but I, but I think knighthoods are completely out of fashion. Yeah, so I didn't. Suddenly called somebody so so and so. What was going on with Abbott? Didn't he knight someone recently, and didn't? Uh, he knighted the Duke of Edinburgh, who's got so many decorations anyway. But that was an extremely unpopular move and a silly thing to do. I don't understand uh, why. No, I don't think anybody else can either. Uh, that got, got a very bad press for that. 
some secret handshakes going on there, you think? <laughs> yeah, because you feel the Duke of Edinburgh's got so much already. I mean, what, what else could you give him? Yeah, he must. <laughs> I just need one more. Just give me one more. Um, so you've got some medals here on the wall. Yes, well, those are Dad's campaign medals. And that was him in his light horse uniform. A good-looking young man, though. He was a good-looking man, yeah. No, he's a very, very fine man, my father. We all looked up to him. So his parents, no, his parents came over and visited him in Cairo. Is that what you're saying? That's right, yeah. yes. That's, I didn't realise that that sort of stuff happened during the war. Mm. Well, you could move around if you had time. It was something to do with grandfather being something in the Red Cross. Yeah. Oh. Cairo must have been a fascinating place back... I think so, yes. So did, you, did you hear that the pyramids once were white? Yes, I think they took the dressing stones off them, didn't they, for the buildings? That is unbelievable. Must be, must be really something, mustn't they? Unbelievable. Mm. And then they took them and used them for building and or tiling yes, the I streets? Well, it was like a sort of uh, mine for them, I suppose, for Cairo, all that spare stuff lying around on the, on the pyramids. I think it took them a long time to get it off too. Like yeah. I believe it was on and then they couldn't get it, but then once they got it cracked, it was mm. on for young and old. Mm. Yes, it would be nice if we look, look back in time and see what all those things looked like. The Seven Wonders of the World, uh, the Library at Alexandria, what were the other ones? The Pyramids. Did you Have you heard of... Um, there's one... They've just found a thing called Gilpeki Tepki, or I think the enunciation's wrong there. Have you heard of this? Gilpeki, Gilpeki. In South America? I think it's in Turkey, maybe. And it predates Stonehenge hmm. by 100,000 years or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, basically they're like realising that they're going to have to rewrite the history books because of this new discovery of yeah. this ancient city that goes further back than what... Mm. What they perceived, you haven't heard anything of it? No, I haven't, haven't seen anything about that, but they're certainly looking back a lot, lot further than they used to think was possible. Yeah, they? yeah. Mm. Yes, I think it would be lovely, lovely to have it over again and do archaeology, except when you think more definitely about it, it would have been going down deep holes. I don't think I'd like that. But I mean, underneath Karnak and places like that, there are still temple complexes that they haven't looked at. Yeah. And what was the city that they talk about in like it's like fable, the the underwater city? Is this Atlantis? Yes. That once that was actually. Mm. It was there. Yeah. I haven't read anything about that in the last few years. Yeah, there's some fascinating stuff coming to light about um, that that being a real possibility, mm. which is well, I just love that as an imagination, you know. Mm. It depends whether or not they had some sort of language we can decipher, doesn't it? Uh, whether they had a, a written language was something the archaeologists look for first. I remember um, my grandfather saying to me once when I was a kid, uh, like, life is a very wondrous thing, but don't get stuck trying to figure out the pyramids or something mm. along those lines. And I never knew, really knew what he meant until... I suppose more recent times when you think that we still don't really understand how they were built, you know, what, why do they all lead to a certain point in the universe mm. by, you know, it's such a finite degree that we can't even see with the human eye, suggests yeah. that there's things going on back then that we, they might have been a lot smarter than we give credit for. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well, um, they still had... I mean, the moon and the stars and the sunrise and sunset, they can measure all of that. They still have... The, we've got the measurements that they had then, haven't we, really? But, uh, yeah. But but we think... Like, I always think, oh, well, we've got these amazing telescopes mm. and they didn't have that then. But they're saying that they must have had something that lets them see further than the naked eye be yes. because everything is built to such a fine degree that... Mm. Yeah, it's... And, I listened to a podcast recently and um, there was a bloke called Randall Carlson 
and he was saying that if we were wiped out by an asteroid or something now it'd be 150 years and you wouldn't know that we had the technology mm. that we have today because everything's plastic kept in clouds that we don't know about and mm. so if maybe back then they had the technology and it's sort of just disappeared yes well i got from a book once called the fifth extinction and we're heading for the fifth extinction, according to this thing. The world has been here such a long time now. Yeah. There's been time for everything to be wiped out. Yeah. Repeatedly. And you can imagine it being wiped out now. There's so, many, so much potential for massive destruction, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I didn't know... That it was like a small span of 150 years and the earth basically like a compost or mulch. Yeah. It just eats everything up and, yeah. and, and replenishes itself. And when you think of that, it's not very long. No, it's not. But we can do massive damage now. I'm supposing another war broke out, which I've not got hold of. All those explosions they can do now. And listening to, I didn't know that Genghis Khan had killed, I didn't know that there was the populations back then mm. that there was. I always think of in the 1200s of Earth being a very sparse place and there really not being many people, but there was full civilizations of hundreds of thousands of people. Yes. Mm. And in South America, Machu Picchu. Yeah. Buildings there. Have you been there? No, not to... Me no. I mean, I've been to Mexico and Guatemala, but I haven't been down further south and I haven't been to Machu, Machu mm. Picchu. But it's it's fascinating that... Yeah, I don't know. So you had this, they had the same measurements then that we've got now. They, I mean, the, the mathematics, the ba basic mathematics were still the same. Yeah, and reality was... You thought what they had then, they would have been like, this is cutting edge. Yes. <laughs> you know, they don't know, we don't know. I don't know, it's funny because we're led to believe that this is the most advanced point in time ever on earth. But it, it may not have been. No. Anyway, it depends what you call civilization, I suppose. Yeah. The potential for destruction is enormous. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's. The, the way that we are raping the earth mm. just to feed more population, just to feed more so people can have more money. Mm. And we're really destroyers, aren't we? Well, yeah, they were saying uh, in this YouTube that I watched last night, they were saying that 70 million people had died in World War Two, And then since that, there was a lot of wars pre that. There hasn't been a big war between superpowers. There's mm. been a superpower going against a third world country or mm. a lesser, but there's never been two superpowers. So they're calling it this period, the peaceful time. Yes. Mm. But I was thinking about that. Um, it's a peaceful time because there's no war, but I feel like almost we're at war with the earth. Mm. Mm. You know, we've shifted our attention and now we're just taking, 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 polluting, 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 mm. building up numbers. Yes, and we're enormously destructive. You look at the barrier reef. They seem to be gradually destroying that. They're making rules and regulations about it, but still, it's not going to stop them mining. Uh, so they are that. They're doing the gas pipe or something. There is. That, they are doing that, are they? Um, I think it's debris from the mines that's doing the a lot of, lot of the damage. Oh, debris. Yeah, right. So yeah. Uh, polluting the sea. Yeah, yeah, and the corals dying, and mm. yeah. That seems appalling. I mean, you could stop, but it'd be politically politically unacceptable to the miners. Oh dear. <laughs> and who are, whoever else is getting kickbacks along the way on that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you get very disillusioned? Yeah. <laughs> or do you get them all disillusioned? <laughs> oh, don't worry. I mean, I I I I feel it too. Do you? Yeah. Mm. In, Deeply, like I just wonder, like I think that the media fills us with information that we don't necessarily need to know about and mm. the real issues sort of get pushed 
yes. by the wayside. Mm. And, you know, like we are lucky, we, you know, we've got, we are living in a great time. Oh, I think so. I think we're lucky we're living, living right now and in this country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I suppose, but yeah, I mean, we're lucky and then you look at all the other things, it's hard to know. But what about reincarnate life? Do you ever feel like you've been here before? Yes, they say it's a mistake. Your brain keeps out of sync for a while. Like deja vu? They say, yes, that sort of thing. But I can imagine that we could have been. I've never discarded any of those theories, have you? No, I like it's a fun reason I get really, like, I have no reason to have any kind of affiliation with the Civil War in America, but every time I see something to do with the Civil War, yeah. I get this strange feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I don't, and like, there's a lot of strange feelings that you get sometimes that... Mm. When you're half awake. Half awake? When, you, when you're tired. Yeah, yeah. Thing comes into, things come into your mind you can't explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you sort of tap onto a different plane, which I, I definitely... Look, I don't know. But if the universe is infinite, then who knows what? Hmm. Yes, I think sometimes you're thinking of somebody and you meet them around the corner. I mean, this sort of thing does happen. Quantum physics. Mm. We're all connected through... Now, have you ever read books by John... Oh, what's his name? Who writes those science fiction... Who wrote The Day of the Triffids? Have you read any of those? No. Who did write those, John? Wyndham. John okay. Wyndham. Um, and one of them is where the whole... There's been a massive series of explosions of war and they've destroyed most of the world and something that's left, a few people are left with very strong ESP. Yeah. And, how can I simplify this? And it turns out that these people who are living somewhere in America can communicate with somebody living in New Zealand who developed the same thing very strongly. Uh, look, I must lend you the book. Yeah, I'd love to read it. You know, I believe it's real. The chrysalids, yes. It, it, it feels it could be quite real. Well, the CIA are... train um, people in... It, I mean, they've proved it through quantum mechanics or physics that the connection of the uh, the consciousness is further than just what we think just on face-to-face. They can give certain people objects, then let them feel the object, feel the energy, take the object, put it somewhere in the world, and the mm. person can tell you where it is. Mm. I mean, that's unbelievable. Well, there's this thing they've got on TV at the moment called How to Train Your Brain. Yeah. Now, I think there's, there's chaps about to walk across a tightrope between buildings. I thought I could possibly watch that. So they taught someone who didn't know how to do it how to do it? Yes. They're teaching this chap how to do things that he doesn't think he can do. Really? Um, and I think the last session's on tonight. I think he's going to walk on a tightrope between these two buildings. But the very thought of looking down like that... That sounds like actually something like a, a good TV show. Yes, well, it is. Proving people that they can do... Yeah. As long as... Uh, I don't know whether they're faking it or not, but it seems extraordinary the number of things he's, he's able to do that he didn't think he could do. Oh, I love that. There must be an enormous feature in that area. Yeah, well, that's just the conversation that we have with ourselves. Mm. You know, if... Well, who said it? Some... <laughs> someone said, if you say you can't, then you... You know, it's that simple thing. It's how uh, you talk to yourself. You go, I can't, I can't. Well, then you can't. But mm. if... You don't, know what, you don't know what you can do until you try. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. That's a good TV show. That's something worth watching. Yes, we'll see if it's on tonight. It's called um, How to Train Your Brain, and it's on the ABC, so you don't have all those interruptions from it, commercial, the commercial channel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll check that out for sure. Mm. Mm. Yes, well, I happen to have the paper today. Oh, that's no good. Anyway, there's a paper every day, though, isn't there? Well, I think so. Even, even on public holidays. Well, the machine doesn't stop. Mm. <laughs> public holidays are far too many. There is a lot, isn't there? <laughs>
And I never know state to state because sometimes, you know, coming from Victoria, coming yeah. up here, who's got what holiday? Because mm. sometimes Victoria has them, New South Wales doesn't, and mm. vice versa. And I think daylight savings are an awful nuisance. Like we should leave it, put it back to where it was before, where everybody's on the same time. Now, which one would you prefer? Which one? Would you prefer it no daylight savings or would you prefer the clock? No, I would like no daylight saving. So you like the morning light? Yeah, I don't, but not actually because of that, because I think it's easier for the world to be on some sort of regular timetable where everybody can predict what time it is in another country yeah. without having to go to the Atlas all the time. Or, in this case, the TV. <laughs> How about you? Would you live it like it is? Well, I, I really like the long days, which, look, the, the days are the same, doesn't matter. It's just the way we look at our watch. Yes, you can always get up, up earlier or later. Yeah, I'm, I'm most active in the afternoons, so I like the longer days. Mm -hmm. Like... Um, I do like it being light longer, but I understand from a farming point of view, if you're a farmer, then they like the at lighter earlier mm. because they get up. Yeah, but you're probably a night person. I know I'm a morning person. Yeah, I think I'm more of a night person. Mm. But I still get up at 7.30, o'clock. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah, I like they're looking at the clock and thinking, I'll have to get up now. You see it tick past. <laughs> <laughs> what gets me out of bed in the morning is the thought of coffee down the street. Oh, I'm glad it's yeah. not just me. I I relish the morning coffee. Mm. But sometimes I'll lie in bed and just stare at the wall and I'll be like, what am I doing? I'm just staring at the wall. What am I <laughs> going to yes, get exactly. up? I'll just have another five minutes. Yeah. Then you go to sleep again. Yeah. And that's the day. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you, like I've stopped having my afternoon coffee mm -hmm. and... Now, when I go to bed, I go to bed looking forward to the morning coffee. Oh, really? <laughs> Slim pickings, I really got something to look forward to. Yeah, no, I think I could sleep all day if somebody left me. You're a good sleeper when you are asleep? Yep, mm. pretty solid. Pretty solid. Once I'm asleep, pretty much that's it. Mm. But every now and again, you have a night where you're just like, what's going on? Toss and turn. Yes, occasionally. Not and often. And the next night, you sleep like a log. Yeah. So I never worry about sleeping or not sleeping. Insomnia. Very so lucky. There's so many people that do suffer from that insomnia. Mm. It must be a difficult one. Well, it must be because you lie there and worry about it, and worrying <laughs> stops you sleeping. But then, everybody goes to sleep eventually. They say, don't they? Well, you have to, otherwise the body just... Otherwise you go banana. <laughs> Bananas or the body stops functioning and healing. But that's got to be the worst torture, doesn't it? Yes, sleep deprivation. Yeah. I would buckle pretty quickly. Mm. Oh. That or Chinese water torture, I think. Or show me a spider. Oh, really? Spiders are no good? Mm. I would have thought you'd be uh, pretty pretty good with the spider's peg. No. <laughs> What's it called? Arachnophobia or something, I think. Really? That bad? Yeah. It's, it's the way they sort of move along like that, you know. You see, you see, you used to see Tarzan films yeah. and these big spiders coming in to eat it. And there's awful slow legs moving towards you. There's something so... There's a few animals like that, though, that's something so creepy. Mm. Have you got a phobia like that? Um, snakes lately. Mm. It's not. Oh, since you found that one in the sitting room. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it's not. I never cared about them so much as a kid, but I feel like as I get older, like if I see the way a snake moves, there's something so sinister about mm. it, and it might not be. They're just living their life, but. It's sort of slither. Yeah, yeah it's so quiet and. Yes, quiet has to do with it. Like spiders are quiet too. And they move so... Um, well, maybe it's just like because we've seen so many films that now we portray it as evil, like sharks. I don't think necessarily evil, but since Jaws... Mm. Yes. Because <laughs> that was a good film. Yeah, a really good film. But um, that music that they put to it mm. is pretty haunting. Mm. Give the old poor sharks a bad rap. Yeah, yes. but I tell you what, 
when that snake was in the sitting room, I really realised how much of a uh, big girl's blouse I am. Mm. I mean, you're, you looked down short, crawling between your feet? It, I looked, I was putting my dinner down and I, I saw its tail mm. one and a half feet, about five feet from me coming out from behind the curtain. Mm. And I froze for about five minutes. I feel like I didn't move because I was going through my head, is it a fake snake? Because mm. it kind of looked like it could have been rubber. Mm. And then because there was a bit of dirt on the edge of its tail, I thought maybe if it's not rubber, maybe it's dead mm. and maybe it's just been there for a while. And then after a while I moved the couch, just give it a little shake mm. and it just slithered behind the curtain. Mm. <laughs> and did you get it? I jumped up on the uh, piano <laughs> <laughs> and I rang Pete and Julie. Mm. Luckily I had my phone because mm. I thought if I run out of here, It'll disappear. Yes, I won't be able to sleep. Mm. So I rang them and I say, yeah, I'll say that. Because I, I, <laughs> I was really scared. Yes. Yeah, so. And they came up? Yeah, they came down with a couple of shovels. Mm. And, and you got it un- under the sofa? Yeah, they got it from behind the curtain. But it turned around and was just had its head out looking at me mm. until they arrived. Mm. And Pete was like, what are you doing up there? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm just making sure it doesn't go away. Yeah. Yeah. Safe up here. You'll never forget that. Yeah, pretty funny. Pretty funny. Oh. Snakes. The, 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 when I was working out there, the, uh, the start of summer, I was seeing two browns a day. Mm. <sighs> but yeah, well, you really do have to. I mean, you've got to be frightened of them, haven't you? Well, yeah, they're a game... Yeah, they put an end to the game pretty quickly. Mm. I don't kill them anymore. Don't you? When I was little, I used to. Mm. Now I just sort of let them be. That one in the house had to go. Yes, we don't want them in the house. No, no good in the house. But Well, in that house, the, all sorts of places they can get in because nothing meets properly. Mm. Mm. And they come up through the floor. His hunter's father came in one day to bring up and there was a snake in the house. In the, in the bathroom? Uh, in the sitting room. He went over to p- pick up the telephone. And, uh, Same room? Yes. Mm. He's thinking, yeah, they can get in anywhere. It's a good thing we don't know what happens in the middle of the night, I think. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know when I went to bed that night, I was just like, oh, mm. great. Yeah. Um, so the same room, was it a brown or was it a... Yes. Really? Um, well, they usually are, I think, aren't they? Yeah, well, the one, my one was a red belly black. Mm. But, uh, well, they go from the lily pond to the river. That's one of their tracks, I think. And you can often see their tracks across, across the, the dr- sand. Across the driveway, mm. yeah. But they say they're as frightened of you as you are of them, but I don't believe that. Well, I had a massive brown snake um, behind the ute not long ago, and it it did not care. Mm. It was just looking at me. I could yeah. I could have backed over it in a heartbeat. And it didn't, didn't run away. No, I was not worried at all. Mm. I was just having a bit of a look. Because it knows it's safe. Yeah. Mm. Knew I was a softy. I wasn't going to kill it. Mm. <laughs> Australia is quite a dangerous place, isn't it, really? With the reptiles that can bite you. Poisonous snakes, poisonous spiders. Crocodiles, sharks. Yes. Funnel web, spi- funnel web spiders are the most creepy. Mm. Yeah. They are straight out of hell. Mm. Mm. Jet black, big fangs. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. How are you going with that thing? Oh, we're good, Peg. We're um, we are well. We're perfectly on time. All right. What is what is time? Um, oh, it's twelve o'clock, and we've chatted for about an hour. Oh, very good. Yeah. Mm. Thanks so much. Well, I don't know if I've told you anything interesting. I was very pleased to get the bit in about the convict. Because ah. everybody tried to sort of cover up its tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it hadn't been for that convict, as my sister said, we'd probably still be back in England cleaning the squire's boots. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God he decided he wanted some honey. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, people should keep their feet on the ground, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, Peg. Well, I'm going to press stop. All right. Well, there you have it. There's a uh, there's my chat with Peg, and I tell you what, after re-listening to that, I, <laughs> it makes me really want to slow down. Uh, and I know that's a thing that I grapple with, slowing down. And I just love it at the end. I just, she says, she's capped it off. I think people just need to put their feet on the ground. Um, I just, I like that. I like to move slow. I like to take it all in. I like to have a chat. Um, and nonetheless, sometimes I just get, I get caught up and I'm moving quick. And, and uh, for what? For what? Why? Anyway, thanks for listening. Wherever you are, whoever you are. Till next time. A river dirty. A river dirty. Adios. Okay. Ciao, ciao.